0: This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name's Adam. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast, and today we have a wonderful episode for you with Todd Offenbacher, Stein Retzloff, and uh, we talked about all kinds of stuff. Talked about, dude, can we just talk about for a really quick second how jacked Todd used to be? I'm going to, maybe Joe will... Be nice. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Ethan will be nice and put up an image of what Todd used to look like. Because holy shit. That's like... Liver King level stuff. (laughs) But uh, in all seriousness, great conversation. These guys are great. And uh, keep an eye out for the crux. Before we jump into the episode today, we have a few quick messages from our... Partners, as well as uh, some other stuff. So, first things first, we got to pay the bills. Deuter is for powder hounds, and they make the best bags on planet Earth uh, ski packs, day packs. They even make Avi bags. I mean, they literally make everything when it comes to outdoor, active style packs, as well as some great luggage options, which, if you've been listening to the show, you know, are uh, one of my favorite luggage options in the world in the avian series freerider pro 34 plus this is my favorite bag i find it extremely comfortable i actually this is a thing that i feel like people don't talk about enough obviously the carry stuff is really great it has a roll top okay great the way that the waist strap fits is so perfect like it's sized well it sits nicely on your little love handles and it allows you to move freely and comfortably in the mountains, which is a huge thing. It's a huge benefit. Um, It also has a separate storage container for all of your AVI gear, so that is super easy to access. Uh, That's something you don't want to fuck around with, and you want to be ready as soon as humanly possible if you ever have to use your gear, okay? Obviously, we don't want to, but if you have to, you want things to be as efficient as possible. Like I mentioned before, a lot of easy, easy ways to carry a snowboard, snowshoes, um, skis obviously, whatever you need to in this pack, they're pushing this thing hard, and uh, it's for a good reason. The thing is uh, is phenomenal. I'm a huge fan, obviously, duffels and all this stuff. Ethan's going on vacation, so he thinks he can just show a bunch of duffels on the screen right now. Anyway, go to deuter.com D E U T R. It is Deuter, not neuter in case you were wondering. Go to deuter.com and get yourself a new pack today and let them know that we sent you. Next, I'm going skiing tomorrow and I'm going to Cannon. Cannon is by far my favorite place to ski in New England. The terrain is great. It is one, it's challenging terrain. Two, by far the most beautiful place to ski in New England. Like lift access, you look out and it's just like the presidentials in the background. It, it, it's insane. At no other place do you get a view like this right off the front side. Right. And also look at this vertical drop 2180. Okay. Longest run 2.3 miles. The vertical drop on this place is crazy. Like skiing tramway all the way to the down, like all the way down, like going tramway to DJ's tram line is insane. It's so much fun, especially when the snow is down. Looks like we've got some good weather finally coming on the horizon. So Go get a ticket ahead of time, plan ahead, go to CanonMT.com, and uh, and let's go skiing. Hit me up. I told you we have other stuff going on, but we don't. I lied to you so that you would listen to the ads. So now what? Uh, enjoy the episode with Stein and Todd. Stein, Todd, why don't you guys introduce yourself, tell people a little bit about yourself, um, and then we can go from there. Stein, why don't you take it first?
1: Okay. Well, uh, I'm Stein Retzeloff from Lake Tahoe, California, and... I had the sincere pleasure of meeting Mr. Todd, Todd Offenbacher. Actually, the first time I met Todd was in Antarctica in 2017. And he's like one of the veteran mountain guides, ski guides, has one of the best presentations on the whole boat. And he was like, kind of like this, uh, kind of like a mythical figure in the whole, the whole <laughs> ordeal. So I didn't really have much time to talk to him, but then uh, fast forward a year and a half later in 2019, we're in Svalbard, Norway. And we're on these like ski and sailboats. We live on a sailboat and Todd and I had the great pleasure on one of the trips sharing a bed And, uh, and uh for for like an eight day trip and really got to learn more about Todd and we went skiing together and just learning more about like what he does in the community and like his whole past and everything. And it really I mean for for me, I'm more of a skier, not so much a rock climber, but like Learning more about Todd and Todd taking me out and, and doing these multi-like different a multi-pitch day, which is a story for another time. But uh, but Todd really like opened my eyes to a lot of work that he's done and like the impact and purpose and everything that he's done within his community. So that was like super inspiring for me. And also learning more about documentary film work and like really building those skills. And when the pandemic hit, it seemed like a perfect opportunity to learn more about todd and do like a local story and share a narrative i'm born and raised here in north lake tahoe uh south lake's a different country but we uh go down there every now and then but uh but todd but yeah todd's developed an entire climbing community and so um yeah honestly we met in bipolar areas actually so (laughs) it's kind of cool
0: (laughs) i love that
2: Yeah, we definitely connected, you know, from the beginning of school. Just to for me to meet someone, you know, how old were you, Stein, when we met then?
1: Twenty seventeen or nineteen?
2: Uh, seventeen.
1: Oh, uh, like 22 or twenty three, I think. Yeah.
2: So uh, I met Stein. Uh, he was he was pretty young, and you know, him and another guy, Eric, showed yeah. up showed up on the trip to uh, shoot some video, do some guiding, and uh, I personally just find myself drawn to the people that just kind of have that that ability that that kind of take charge of just being on a trip and saying, I'm gonna do whatever needs to be done. I'm gonna be that person that volunteers. I'm gonna be that person that sees someone needs help. I'm gonna step in and help them. And I saw that in Stein and Eric just kind of being those guys that were new and, you know, were the rookies on the trip, right? You know, so you get some hazing and that sort of stuff. But uh they just they just were constantly helping with every and anything they could. So we kind of hit it off, but I had, you know, I'd been doing those trips with ice Ax expeditions for maybe 12 years now down to Antarctica, up to Norway, to Greenland, to Svalbard, where the polar bears are, um, ski guiding. And I worked for 22, almost 23 years as a TV host for outside, uh, television, uh, it used to be resort sports network. And then, and then outside television and then, uh, i am the creator and host of the Tall Adventure Film Festival. <clears throat> and I've been a climber, you know, for I'd say an adventure climber for probably, I don't know, <clears throat> maybe 35 years now, you know, climbing in Yosemite, lots of lots of El Capitan routes, uh a lot taken a few times taken, disabled people up El Capitan, then traveling the world uh to do kind of big wall first ascents back maybe twenty years ago. That was a big Big passion of mine going with friends over to Pakistan and Peru and China and some of these more remote places in the big mountains and putting up new routes to to more recently. Uh in the last, I don't know, 15 years, putting up a lot of more moderate routes here in the Lake Tahoe area and and, and beyond. You know, I've put up routes over in Thailand and sport climbs there and that sort of thing, but probably the most recent effort. In climbing, uh, aside from just my own personal climbing, which, you know, whatever, yeah. uh, has been, has been get driven towards trying to develop like really moderate, even easy routes, you know, a couple hard ones, not that many, but routes that are just really inclusive for people that are either getting into climbing or people that are, you know, just moderate climbers that want to do safe, well-protected climbs that are easy at the top with nice hooks at the top. I don't know how much uh, your audience or yourself knows about climbing, but a lot of times in climbing, the distance between protection, that is where you clip into something or put a piece of gear to, to catch you in the event that you should fall, um, can be big, big distances. So the further the distance, the, the further the fall is going to be that you take. So uh, the idea of you know putting up routes that just are really safe, that the fall potential is uh, very short and just the, the, the risk is somewhat reduced has uh, been really appealing and really well received in the community.
0: Yeah. No, and to answer your question, I know next to nothing about climbing. It is actually okay. the thing that scares me the most <laughs> of all the outdoor sports, I think. Like it is it, it terrifies me. But I think uh-huh. like it's because there's not a there's not often a very easy way to get into it and the information is it seems like it's hard to get to. Like I don't know, it's you go and you watch these videos or like you go out with a friend, it's just like there's so much to take in. And I guess, like, for me, like, mountain biking, there's, like, two camps, it seems like, in the summer, right, for skiers. And it's, like, people are climbers or people are mountain bikers, right? And I guess there's some people that like to run somewhere in between that, like, strange range there. But it's – mountain biking is very – it's complicated. There's a lot that goes into it. But, it like, that feels very easy and very natural for me to get into and understand. But climbing is, like – I don't, I still don't get it. No matter how hard I, every year I try and I try <laughs> to pick up something new and like, I don't know, I started bouldering a couple of years ago, but I don't know shit about anything when it comes to climbing, you know, like it's, it's right. so overwhelming to me. Yeah.
2: I can, I can, yeah, I can understand too.
0: that.
2: <laughs> I can understand. I mean, you know, one thing you have in climbing is you have to have a partner, Yeah. you know, and, and, and then if you're new at climbing, then you have to have a partner that kind of knows all those things that are, that are foreign and And mysterious to you, right? They've got to know how to get the rope to the top and back down. They need to know how to do it safely. They need to know how to protect, you know, how to if the gear is safe or is not safe. You know, all these things. If you're doing a multi-pitch, how we're going to get down from here, how do we get to the base? Where does this climb go? Um, yeah, there's there's a lot to it. So there's that compared to say mountain biking. You know, you can just grab your mountain bike and start Mm -hmm. exploring trails. And if you go too far, you just turn around and ride back. But if you start climbing up. (laughs) You know, you get 20 feet out from from a piece of protection and you can't make the move and you can't down climb. You're in a pretty, you know, precarious situation in that. So so I get it. I get it. It's but, hard. But I,
0: but it's hard, man. I actually I had this argument a few weeks ago with a friend He was like he was telling me that he's terrified of mountain biking. And he thinks that mountain biking is he was like, it's 20 times more dangerous Than going climbing. And I'm like, you're an insane person. Like, you choose your adventure on a bike a little more, right? There's, like... And I guess you do in climbing, too. But it seems... I don't know. The risk is mitigated by what you're comfortable doing. Especially if you, like, aren't one of those just go out and just huck yourself type people. And in that case, like, it seems like those people hardly ever get hurt anyway. Like, it seems like they're always, like, they bounce right back up and everything's fine, even if it goes poorly. But it... It's terrifying to me.
2: Well, yeah. You have to come out and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll try to make it easy. That's <laughs> something like a that's something a good guide could do is take someone I'm sure. and give them the good give them the good experience where there's not as much exposure. The climbing's well within your physical ability, explain it well. Yeah. You know, remove remove some of that mystery. You know, with with obviously mountain biking you're getting in great cardio shape potentially, you know, going riding up a mountain there. Yeah. Climbing you definitely learn a lot of good te- <clears throat> technical skills that I like to then, I mean, some of my favorite skiing is when you can kind of take some of those technical skills from climbing and transfer them over, you know, right. climbing some steep couloir or uh, whatever it might be, rappelling into a couloir. I mean, you know, all the clients always want to, well, can, we, can we rappel into something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say, okay, yeah, we'll rappel into something, you know, we won't need to, but we'll do it because everybody wants to use their harness and their ice screws and you know, that
0: stuff. So that's the thing, of course, like that's the thing that interests me the most. And that's why I was like, oh, maybe I should start playing with this idea a little bit more is because like the the ability to connect it with skiing is is probably the most exciting thing to me, at least like, I don't know, for some reason, it seems like you have 50 percent of it down. You know what I mean? Like you have the skiing part down sort of and then like the climbing part you just figure out after like, I don't know, like it seems like it's easier to go together.
2: Yeah, and and like these these trips that Stein and I worked together on, you know, down in Antarctica and in, and in the Arctic, and for your listeners and and for you too maybe is uh you know down in Antarctica is where the penguins are, and then up in the Arctic and the north is where the polar bears are. They don't coexist together, and, uh, regardless of what all those Hallmark Christmas cards yeah. show you. You know, <laughs> S- Santa Claus hanging out with polar bears and penguins. Coca Cola. Yeah, it yeah. is Coca Cola. Yeah, Coca Cola can. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but in both those environments, you know, you're traveling on glaciers, so you're using ropes to travel safely uh, on glaciers for, you know, the crevasse hazard, hazard of falling into a crevasse and opening in the glacier. Um, so you're using that. The rescue skills, if you someone were to fall into a, a glacier, or, I'm sorry, into a crevasse, or you had to rescue someone out or uh, extract yourself out, self you know, ex- extricate yourself out of a crevasse. Um, all of those climbing skills really come in handy there. And I see it sometimes with some of the some of the guides that are just skiers that the rope work stuff is still a, you know the, the it's a little bit more mysterious to them. Whereas when you're handling ropes all summer long and then in wintertime, you know you go back to using ropes for that sort of uh, technical travel, um, the, the two really mesh well in that environment. i I've, I've found. So I, I do, I encourage all my ski friends and ski guide friends uh, you know, and, and they've all got training and we do trainings on, on all of these trips together, but I do encourage them, like just the climbing, just playing with ropes. You know, it's like anything you get better by doing it. You just tie in knots with the rope, using the rope, coiling the rope, just the simple parts of, of dealing with that, that part of climbing transfers over to the type of of skiing we've been doing.
1: Yeah. I got to do more of that.
2: (laughs) Are
0: you still, you're you're still pretty (laughs) new at it.
1: Well, no, I mean, I, well, I guess relatively, relative to Todd, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and relative to a lot of the other guides. Absolutely. I have a lot, I have a lot of work to do, but that's, but that's why, uh, you make movies about people who inspire right. you in our mentors. <laughs> and mentors then, and then they hang out with you more.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what you both get to travel to these places all of the time that people like, you know, write down on their bucket lists and like they want to go to, it's like their number one travel. Like you think about Norway and the Arctic and like all these places is that stuff normalized for you yet or is it still like every time you go are, like are you still in awe of these places or is it just very regular at this point
1: Todd. Okay. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not no it's it's beautiful I, for, for me i mean i'm still like pretty novice into the whole thing uh although i think i've spent like almost a full year on Svalbard. Um, I love that island more than anything, but it's not, it's all so surreal. And like, I mean, t- it's like Todd or Doug or one of the guys, they have an amazing quote that you tell everyone that goes to Antarctica. It's like, you can't compare anywhere to that place. Like nowhere on earth compares to Antarctica. It's just, every time you're there, it's un- unbelievable. Like jaw dropping, just spectacular. Now every time is a fresh moment.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I, I look forward to, God, every single trip we do. Yeah. I just, I'm anticipating, looking forward to it. You know, the only thing that maybe gets a little better is just knowing exactly what to pack, knowing what the weather's mm. like, what the yeah. snow's like, what skis, that stuff. But uh, but I always tell people, I'm like, cash you know, if I, if I had millions of dollars to just do, you know, the money was no object. These are the trips I would be going on. I would go to Antarctica every year with Ice axe, and I would go... Yeah. Probably up to Svalbard, Norway, Greenland, some of those trips as well. I just, I just love that environment. And and to, to Stein's point, you know, the Antarctica trip in particular, you're on a big old ship <clears throat> with warm bed, hot meals. Uh, no, no one, you know, people might compare. Oh, you know, Norway's a lot like Greenland, or Greenland's like. You know, or or Europe reminds me a lot of the Sierras. No one ever says, "Hey, Alaska reminds me of Antarctica." No one says this place <laughs> reminds me of Antarctica. <clears throat> There's nowhere else. It's like skiing on the you know freaking moon or something.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I've said for a long time, and I'm pretty sure this is accurate. You can have your fact checker, Jamie, check it.
0: <laughs> In the background.
2: <laughs> yeah. Have Jamie check this. I, I think more people have summited Mount Everest than have skied in Antarctica.
0: No shit. I, I've
1: heard that too. I think that's, I think that's a, I think
0: that's a fact for sure. Yeah. I don't think people think about it. I don't think people about skiing in Antarctica. Like I don't think it like that association isn't there. And it's also, I'm sure distance ease of access. And you guys obviously know more than me about that aspect of it, but it's like, it doesn't seem easy to get to, you know what I mean? It's not. Yeah. So, what does that travel look like?
1: God, <laughs> That's all oh. you do. this is. I'll be like um, from now on. I'm just gonna
0: direct and switch back forward. I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: you go first. No, you go first. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's uh, getting getting to Antarctica. You're you're spot on, Adam. Like to to get there is is. It's probably about as far as you can go from, say, United States. You know, we, of course, live here in Lake Tahoe, California. You, know, you travel. I typically go fly into somewhere in uh, Texas, and then from there to Buenos Aires, Argentina. And then from Buenos Aires, it feels like – I always feel like I – Stein, you probably would agree. In fact, I, I like get there, which is a lot of travel. You know, You're down way southern part of South America. And I'm like, okay, that wasn't that bad. Then you get on almost <laughs> another four-hour flight. To get all the way down to Ushuaia, which is the very tip Tierra del Fuego of uh, of, Ant- of uh, Argentina, okay. and then from there you get a two day ship ride across the Drake Passage, which is notoriously the most gnarliest you know crossing in, in in all you know seven seas. I mean, it's notorious the Drake Passage. So yeah, to get there, it, it does take a lot. I think a lot of people also, to your point of not thinking about antarctica i think a lot of people think of those science research research uh, bases stations that are down there yeah. that are more um on on the, the main continent but there's a big little finger a peninsula that sticks out of antarctica up towards south america and that peninsula is where we take the ship to and it's very mountainous and those mountains go straight from anywhere you know maybe around 3,000 meters. um, Mount St. Francis,
1: Francais.
2: Francais. Francais is is like the biggest one, but they average say, you know, around a thousand meters, but right out of the ocean. Yeah. So it's very unique to be able to one, live on a ship, then take a Zodiac to your ski destination, skin or cramp on up a peak, and then ski right back down to the ocean where Mm -hmm. there's penguins and seals and whales. It's, it's, it's incredibly
1: unique.
0: Yeah. What's the first time, what's the first time experience for people? Like, I mean, this is first Stein, probably like when you watch these people that have these experiences for the very first time down there, like what is that? What is that reaction? And maybe what is your reaction? The first time you were down there like that? I think when people have these first, these first experiences in places like this, they just don't know what to do with themselves. Right. Like,
1: yeah. I mean, I guess like speaking for my, my first, pers- like first experience down there was I had no idea really what to expect. Doug Staup, uh, the, like the founder of ice Ax, He's like, uh, he's pretty nonchalant when he tells people what to expect too. Cause like, it's like, I mean, you have a guy who's done, I mean he's skiing to the South pole currently, but he's done all these crazy adventures. He's like, ah, oh, you'll be totally fine. Totally fine. <laughs> it's actually the first time I went up to Svalbard, Norway. I've never been there in my entire life. And he's like, yeah, you can guide this film crew. You'll be totally fine. I'm like, what? Like, I've never been there. Like, we've Follow Yellow Brick Road. I'm like, what are you
2: talking about? <laughs> and, 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 and by the <laughs> way, here's a rifle to take with you. Son. <laughs> exactly.
1: Like, oh yeah, there's polar bears. Like, yeah, just don't get caught by the, like, don't get caught by, like, Cecilman because yeah, I think you need a permit or something like that. I'm like, what? And, like, it ended up being totally fine in the end. But, like, kind of Antarctica was, like, Kind of like uh, it was a, uh, it was that like eight months later. He's like, yeah, no, it's totally fine. Like you think that it's gonna be a freezing cold, but he's like, no, it's really not that bad. It's like the like the, whatever the ozone layer. I don't know what. I'm not really that. I uh, don't know much about that. But like it's like it's crazy how like you always think the Antarctica is like it is the coldest, highest, driest place in the world. Um, but you think it's just gonna be absolutely freezing. But Doug is like, yeah, no, it's gonna be totally fine. You get down there. And honestly, it was. Jaw dropping, just the scope. Everything is small. Like, every single thing that you look at is just tiny. Like, any photo is like it just like you kind of are mesmerized by the landscape. There's so much ice. The blues are like the most surreal blues that you've ever seen in your life, just like sparkling colors, the snow, ice. Like, when you have this next, you know, like a leopard seal swimming next to you, penguins jumping out of the water penguins are just like the most like ridiculous animals on earth just like walk around walk straight up to you don't really like they're just curious and they have like their only predators like what is it a skua and a and like an albatross and then the leopard seal but other than that they're just kind of like going along their day it's like it's it's absurd but like when when I was down there and anytime like even these last couple trips and um, like it was like my girlfriend's first time down there too. They're just like blown away by just the scale of everything. It just doesn't make sense. Like you just look. Like, oh, I go, I want to just ski. Let's go ski over there. That looks like kind of a nice little like a nice little pitch. Let's go ski there. And you're like oh, that would take like eight hours to get there. <laughs> and it's like it just doesn't make sense. But it just I don't know. It's as Todd mentioned. Nowhere really compares. And I think the scale and the wildlife and just like the uniqueness of the wildlife are absolutely unreal. But I also think the people really make the trip like that much better. It's the, the people. And it's like a good outbreak community. I once asked the bartender a couple years ago, like of every trip that goes down to Antarctica, who uh, like, what's like our bar tab kind of stack up next to the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he's like, just like laughed like kind of exactly what you guys yeah, just yeah. did. And just was like, just, like, He's like you guys drink ten times more. <laughs> so it's a lot. It's a lot of fun too. <laughs> we yeah. win, champions. We're number
0: one. <laughs> what a win! What a huge win!
1: <laughs> We're number one.
0: <laughs> um, Todd, being down there, like, what do you at, at this point? How does that? How does it feel? Like it. I feel like, and, and how does the work, like, what does the work look like for you guys when you're down on these, on these expeditions? Like, what exactly are you guys doing? What is your responsibility on those trips? And like, as you're going through what, I don't know, just kind of talk to me about the feeling of the trip overall, because I think that's one of the things that people look forward to the most when, you know, when they hear stories about these places is they just, they never get any context and never get any detail.
1: Yeah.
2: Stein kind of touched on it. Just the yeah, I can remember people telling me, "Oh, it's so beautiful, so beautiful." And I've been all over the world and been to some, you know, what I thought were really beautiful, incredible places and experiences. So I was really curious the first time as well. Like, what what could be so amazing, so beautiful about this place? It doesn't have trees. It doesn't have anything but snow and ice and water. And and it, and it is. It's it's uh, it's surreal when you're. Act- it's still to me to this day surreal when I'm there. I'm standing there with someone, you know, working, talking. And, and I'm just looking out across the ocean or across icebergs or across this beautiful, you know, patch of snow we're going to ski and just in, in awe that I'm actually in this place. So the feeling to me still to this day is is it's just absolutely surreal. I think of all the different summits around the world that I've, I've been able to get to, whether it's the top of a cool sport climb in, in Thailand where you're looking down on the ocean or in Pakistan where you're up at 6,000 meters and can look across the Curacom range. I think uh, to be on just any summit in a place like Antarctica on a day that's, that's clear skies and you're surrounded by so much water with Mm. icebergs in it is, is still probably one of, I think, the most unique coolest summits of just sitting up there just where it felt so surreal. Like, am I just really here? And you think about, I love to, wherever I am on the globe, especially there, think about where you are on the planet and think, God, I am on the bottom of the planet right now. It's so yeah. unique. You know, I, I like that that Google Earth, the zoom in, and I, I my brain kind of works like that now, thanks to Google Earth, where it's like, oh my God, this is where I am in the whole planet of the Earth. I'm on the bottom of the planet, on top of this summit, surrounded by all this water. And if as far as the as far as the work goes, uh it, it's by far unquestionably, without any doubt the best job, the best work I've ever had in my life. You know, it has all the, all the normal uh, stuff that that a mountain guy does, you know, in terms of just mitigating the risk and uh, planning the day, the route planning, the route setting, where you're going to go uh, communicating to the clients, taking care of the clients, making sure they have the proper equipment, but, and, and all the, all this, all the same hazards that you have in the mountains, whether it's, you know, uh the 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 glacier concerns with crevasses uncontrolled fall avalanche uh all those things but then you add in this whole maritime component (laughs) to to this to this mountain thing that's just so unique to be able to to add in that where you're living on a ship you're disembarking from a ship sometimes the waves are going like this you know at the at the gangway where you're loading up a Zodiac, getting clients into the Zodiac, loading the skis, the backpacks, the clients, getting to shore. Before before we take the clients to shore, we have a guide meeting very early in the morning, usually around 6 a.m. in the morning, we have a guide meeting and uh, discuss the day, where we are, location, all that stuff, uh, and kind of go over different landing sites where we're going to land people in the Zodiacs. So there might be landing site ABC, maybe even a landing site D. Uh, And then we'll have different guys that'll go out there very early and then prepare these sites because uh one of the challenges there is you have these big glacial fronts that just meet the water and they can be several hundred feet tall so of course you can't access from there we've over the years now found these different landings where it's a nice snow ramp that comes down to the water and so from there you can you know start skinning up or, or cramponing up but right at the water's edge depending on tide you have to prepare these landings sometimes with a rope so people can get out of the boat and not not yeah. fall into the ocean with all their ski equipment on. You know, it's, <laughs> it's very, very unique in that sense. Um, yeah. And then it's, it's one of the few places too that I've been out skiing where you get a call from the radio from, you know, from actually from the ship saying, Hey, uh, the, the winds have shifted and now the sea ice is coming in and if all everybody have to bring all the guests turn around immediately start coming back to the ship we've had that before where the ships in a bay and all the sea ice is say maybe on the uh oh god what's it called what's it the uh, the right and left on a ship stein
1: port and starboard
2: port and starboard i always forget once <laughs> i get on
1: the ship i get it but
2: i always forget <clears laughs> <throat> i don't know why they just don't say left and right seems like it's really here, silly yeah. to yeah. always like left left <laughs> side right side <laughs> But, you know all the ice is, is on say this you know the starboard side and then the wind shifts and it pushes it to the port side which is the exit out of the bay right so there's a potential for the ship to get stuck you know it's kind of cool hey everybody we got to start hustling back and the zodiacs are coming in and you know you you feel like a bunch of navy seals on vacation you know you're just living on this ship cruising around in zodiacs having these big adventures it's uh it's just spectacular
0: it's hilarious <laughs> that that would be somebody else freaking out, and you're like, "Yeah, it's it's kind of fun. You get to like oh, be in yeah. it like that's like people have to be panicking." Well, and, and Steiner, tell you that's style. like one of
2: that's one of my big ones is I'm always like never panic. You know, the more panicky it gets, I I, I try to and and focus on just trying to be calm. It's, it's, if it's one thing I've learned is is that to just be that that calm person, that calm voice of of reason, uh, is, is what a lot of people need sometimes just to calm
1: themselves down. Yeah. Uh, t- Todd has this, like these three nevers, never complain, never give up and never waste a day. And th- that was actually, he has like, I mean, he's an amazing presentation. And like, also even in the crux, like it's like a uh, kind of one of those through lines, like never waste a day with his daughter, Yeah, but it's like, it, it, it I mean, there's so many times in life. Like on projects and whatnot, where it just like, God, this kind of sucks. But like, you know, like a lot of other people around you on the team might also be suffering. So it's just kind of like, just don't be the person to complain. So yeah, I definitely uh, pulled that from Todd for sure.
0: You got that in the back of your head every time you're about to complain.
1: For sure. Don't complain. Todd would slap you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that.
2: Uh, I'll be doing, I'll be doing stuff sometimes with my daughter and she'll be like, Daddy, are you complaining? I said no, no, no. I'm just pointing out. I was just pointing. I was just pointing out that my feet are totally wet. I'm not complaining about it. Just, yeah. I'm fine. And it's uh, good. It keeps you uh, in check.
1: Just keeps you in check. Oh, you also. Do you still have that cussing jar?
2: No, the cussing jar got put away. I think I just. I think it just overfilled or it broke or
0: something. Just out just of so many up. swear words. Um. What's the clientele like on these trips? Like, I'm sure there's many of them that are great. I'm sure, like, people have a certain thing in their head. But I'm, like, it you're kind of going into a situation that I don't know. I don't know how educated people are about what they're getting into. And may, maybe they are, maybe they're not. But is there, like, a vetting process for this kind of thing? Or is it just, like, you get whoever wants to sign up for these expeditions?
2: Um... <laughs> I I would say I <laughs> I think it's one of the really unique things about Isaacs is they I mean Doug is just come on. Oh, I've only skied a few days. That's fine. You can come down there and you know your guide can teach you how to ski on the glacier. And and I've seen it's, that. It's kind I've of seen nuts. it from and it's true, you can learn to, you know, whatever slope angle you're gonna ski on, if it's 15 degrees to learn 20 degrees you can do that in Antarctica. You could do it, you know, at, at Vale resort, you know, you can do it either place. And at the same time, I've seen people like Seth Morrison, just money out of his own pocket to come on that trip to go ski and in, in Antarctica. So we get everything from, from, you know, the pros that we've all heard of that you get to meet on the trip to people that, uh, that even spouses, uh, that, that, that the other spouse is there to ski or snowboard and the other spouse is there to maybe just do a little cross country skiing, some snowshoeing. So it, it's incredibly organic how it all shifts out and maybe the groups change a little bit. Hey Stein, I have a guy who's who's a little bit more aggressive than the rest of my crew. And he's thinking maybe he wants to do more vertical, you know, how are your guys looking, you know, I have one guy that's maybe a little slow and intimidated, Let, let's switch today. And all of a sudden I take Stein's guy and we switch out and, and you okay. get this good group dynamic. You know, the key is just making sure that the clients are getting what they want, but, I would say that the, I mean, gosh, we've had, we've had young kids. People have brought kids maybe as young as like maybe 11 or
0: 12. No way. That's awesome.
1: And then I think this we... year, actually the second trip, Todd, there was an eight year old. Damn.
0: It's so <laughs> insane.
1: <laughs> apparently they broke a Guinness book of world records or something like that. Oh At of,
0: eight. I would, uh, I would hope so. Eight years old. <laughs>
2: Impressive. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, hopefully at eight you still remember that
0: trip. <laughs> I guess that's true too. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Imagine going back point. to school though. Like, imagine going back to like whatever that is, first grade, and being like, "Yeah, I was in Antarctica last week." <laughs> like, like, what a I flex! Can't. Everybody else is at I Disney World. Even, yeah, yeah. Totally.
1: yeah, I couldn't even imagine. That's no, crazy. And, yeah. and then, point.
2: and then on, and then on the other end of the spectrum. I mean, I can remember my friend Stefan Palm had uh, some clients from Sweden that were well into their seventies skiing, very mellow terrain. Uh, but why not? You know, they were hiking up slower and skiing mellower terrain. And I mean, Antarctica is definitely, in my opinion, when people say, what's the snow like? I always say it's the location. It's about where you're skiing. If the snow's good, that's great. If the snow's bad, it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, if the snow's really bad. You're skiing, you know, stuff. that's a little safer, a little lower angle, whatever. That's, that's what the guide's job is. But it's one of those location, location, location. Just being there and skiing there um, is the experience, I think, for most of the guests in the end.
0: Yeah. I'm interrupting this conversation to tell you about some Nordic skis. We have made Nordic popular again. Technically, we don't have a Nordic sponsor, but if we did, it would be Fisher. They make the best Nordic product in the world, and there's no question that OTX stuff is insane. Stuff is so good. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look at like the two pinned clips on our page it's like what do we get three million views or something like that between the cross-country content going on right now but to be honest no one gives a shit about cross-country but what we do care about is the ranger series ranger series is the best all-mountain ski that exists right now it's super fun it's versatile it is playful enough but it holds an extremely tight edge all the way through and it is available now at your local retailer's So go get yourself a pair of Fisher Rangers today. Obviously, they make these babies from a 90 all the way to like a 116 in the big sticks uh, and a whole bunch of different sizes available. Completely like no gender specifications on these things. You just pick your color and you go skiing. So fishersports.com or go to your local retailer. And you can actually find your local retailer at fishersports.com as well. Next, America's original hard cider is woodchuck. Woodchuck makes the absolute best when it comes to getting a hard cider. If you're knocking them back and you want a gluten-free, tasty, light drinking product, it is from Woodchuck, okay? There's nothing else you should be trying. They have everything as usual. I will tell you some of the flavors, and that is Amber Persecco, Mimosa, Sangria. uh, What is that? Blueberry Snap, Berry Snap, Berry Snap, Granny Smith, Rose, Bellini, Paloma, Guava, another pumpkin 802 all dry and apple. Um, there are so, I mean, first of all, go to the cidery, go skiing at like Sugarbush or something like that. I know I told you to go ski Cannon, but in this particular instance, go to Sugarbush, go to Stowe, go to Matter River, and then finish your trip at the Woodchuck Cidery, Cider House. Um, I keep calling it a cidery, but it's for sure a cider house. They also have cocktails. Right inside there. Um, So, Middlebury, Vermont. Go check that out. Woodchuck.com for all the details. And uh, available at your local liquor store. Must be 21 or older to consume this product. Cool? Back to the episode. Can I... I don't want to just talk about Antarctica here, but can I talk about... Can we, like... (coughs) Norway right now seems like it's blowing up in terms of popularity for the general public. It's like the opposite of what Antarctica, like what I said about Antarctica. It seems like every, there's a ton of films out right now. They're like, everybody seems like they're moving. Like I've had four guests on in the past few months from Norway, or that just came back from a trip in Norway, or that just moved moved there. Like it's all over the place. And I wonder why that is. And I just, want to hear your guys' experience, your guys, your guys's experience. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, experience in Norway. Like, it sounds like that's a favorite place of yours, Stein. Like, what? what is that? It's, and it's in my head right now because I watch, Nikolai Shermer has a new film called Wavy 2. That's out right now. Um, and, like, it just showed – I was watching it with a friend last night, and it's, like, the way that they showcase the skiing and the way that he showcases just – the wildlife and the nature and that aspect of it is, is so insane. Like it almost seems not real. Um, so I have that kind of stuck in my brain right now.
1: Um, well at first I think if you, if you got to hear a story, it's Todd's experience becoming a local in the, this, uh, the world's <laughs> most remote ghost town called pyramid. <laughs> That's a story Todd needs to share. Um, in terms of Norway, I mean, gosh, you were in Longyearbyen this spring. It's crazy. They have like a one of those, like a skyscraper thing. Not a skyscraper, but what are those giant towers called? that it build giant buildings? The Todd.
2: But
1: a, a crane, like a sky crane. Yeah, oh, yeah, See, I had serious brain fart there. They had cranes everywhere in the town. Oh,
2: I North, even...
1: northern, Yeah, northernmost town in the world I had like a couple cranes there this year, and I was like, holy cow! the The groceries, the grocery store, they have all these placards saying no guns allowed inside the store but now they all have self checkout it's quite interesting <laughs> it's like I mean at least in Svalbard long longer been it's changed a ton in the last six years I mean that's yeah. the one, first time I ever went there was 2017 but you've been going there a lot longer than me but I've just seen it since the pandemic it just exploded
2: yeah it's changed it's changed a lot and I mean Stein you might better to speak to it more articulate than me but Svalbard is like a sovereignty nation Mm It's governed by Norway, so for me personally, um, Adam, I always think of like Norway, Tromso, the Lingen Alps, those areas, and then I think of Svalbard, another three hours and forty-five minute flight north to an isolated island. Personally, Um, but both, I think, to your point, have become really popular. To me, it seems like a no-brainer, and I'm not surprised. Cause to me, it seems like, you know, it's again, for us to fly there, it's a long flight. Ultimately you get to Oslo uh, and then from Oslo, you go uh, to Trump. So typically, and then to long you've been to get there. But it, to me, it seems so obvious for Europeans, people in, in the EU, if your ski season goes till, you know, like through March in, in April is ideal for being in Norway. So you ski your ass off in, in you know, you're going further North, you ski Norway throughout April. And it's so accessible, you know, around that Tromso area, just as an example. And then into May, a short flight from there gets you up to to Svalbard. And then from there, you know, you're skiing well into, you know, oftentimes into the beginning of June. So Mm -hmm. to me, that seems like one thing. I think it's gotten put on the map, kind of like you're saying, you've seen Mm -hmm. the movies, the people talking about it, Mm -hmm. but what a great way to extend your ski season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. it's a good, great point. (laughs) Yeah. Great, great point.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it, it's one of those places that I think people look at and they're like, this is going on my list, especially, like I said, lately, I feel like it's just become a, a destination on people's radar for one reason or the other. And, I, I, and again, I don't know what happened, but it just seems like since the pandemic that has uh, it's completely blown up because I think I don't know when I was growing up, I never thought about it. Right. It was like it's a place. It's beautiful. But it's like, I don't know, you think of it the same way you think of Switzerland. You know, it's like, yeah, I want to go, but like, I don't really know why I need to go there. You know what I mean? Like, like, I'm sure it's beautiful, but I don't like, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Everything in the town of Longyearbyen is like the northernmost blank, like northernmost bakery, northernmost brewery, northernmost nightclub. Like, it's all northernmost. It's quite, quite, quite special and quite unique for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, Todd, Stein said you have a story about being out there. (laughs) Yeah you talking about the uni- the uniform <clears throat> style. Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I, okay. I I'll, like I just to preface a little bit of this uh, this town. Like I was going out there with this film crew in 2017, and we, it's like it's quite the snowmobile trek there. And we ended up entering. There's like two people, these two Russians who occupy this like hotel, which is like mega Soviet Russian. I think ghost town. Uh, yeah, ghost town. Like it, it's like it's like. Uh, what, what was the year about i forgot exactly what year but all of a sudden like these ships roll up to this town which was a coal coal plant coal mining for uh, russia and all of a sudden these ships arrive like hey drop what you're doing time to leave and like literally like you take a tour and there's stuff in the kitchen that was like just <laughs> left like pots like literally people just stopped what they're doing and just left and never came back so we ended wow. up going there and i was wearing this jacket that said isaac's expeditions and I walk in and this one guy, I think his name was Sasha. I'm uh, pretty sure it was Sasha. And he's like, he's like, he's like talking to me. And initially, he like, obviously, like, I saw him like read the jacket. And he's, he's like, Todd. He's like, you know, Todd, Todd. And I'm like, yeah, like, I know Todd. And then he proceeds to go walk, like, take us up to this, like, hallway towards room. And he has this, like, picture frame of Todd. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. next to his bed. Like Todd, ta- ta- next just, to like, his bed. You know, story, but, <laughs> but no, like literally, this is like this is a town that's more north than where if you want to ski to the North Pole, you fly into Svalbard, Ben and then fly to go do North Pole trips. Like you're you're a few hundred miles away from the North Pole. Like you're in the middle of nowhere, and this town is like <laughs> literally the middle of nowhere, and it's like. Like very very Russian, like only yeah. two people live there. They don't see many people, and Todd made such an impact that like, <laughs> yeah, he could. I'm pretty sure he sleeps with a picture of Todd next to his bed. Like, I think he does. <laughs> oh my it's God.
2: it's. Uh, I I I think the town of Pyramid is in the like National Geographic's top three ghost towns in the world. Yeah, because it's just and 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 when this I think what it was was it was a coal mine coal mining location, hard to even call it a town, location yeah. up there on Svalbard that when the Soviet Union collapsed, the money stopped going in there. And that was the ships coming in, going, Hey, we're out, you know, the Soviet Union's collapsing and everybody pulled out. And like Stein said, there's freaking kettle balls just sitting in the gym, right where they were left. It's, it's amazing spoon and a bowl, you know, half eaten oatmeal. It's really cool. The, the grand piano is still just sitting in the, in the theater, um, you know, with just super thick dust on it but i had gone i was going to go do one of the trips i was guiding there gosh maybe like maybe 2015 or so and i went through slovenia first uh, and did a couple presentations uh we used to call them slideshows like you know coming up but whatever like multimedia presentations uh presentation i have called never complain never give up and uh and while i was there there was all these crazy fins people from finland that were partying and one of them had this Soviet union, like the full length, heavy wool jacket that goes down to like mid shin, you know, with the red buttons and the and the stripes on the shoulder and the full like, you know, furry, ha- the whole thing. And so like so partied and I was like, that thing's so cool, where'd you get it? He's like, yeah, I got it from the Soviets back in the, do you want it? And I was like, oh, I couldn't take it. Ultimately he gives me this, it, it's super heavy cause it's really thick and it's full length. Fits perfect. has a red belt that has like red and gold in it that goes around the waist. Super cool. Like great for like raves or winter parties. It's just super fun. Halloween. So I get this big ass jacket. It's all I can do to put it in all my ski gear with all the other stuff, ropes and carabiners and skis and ice axes. And I get all the way over there and it's just lift the, this things just with me in on the boat as I'm cruising around, you know, doing the guiding thing. Well, we go to go to Pyramid. And again, like Stein said, this place is super icy. There's like two Russians that uh, Sasha and then some other lady that wears like really super red lipstick. I just remember I just remember that. And and so so we're gonna so we we had to literally uh, take the boat up to sea ice because the sea ice left all the way from pyramid out, out into the ocean. And from there we we docked the boat up to the sea ice with ice screws, and then we skinned, I don't know, like maybe like a half a mile to to pyramid but i put the suit on i put the whole thing with the helmet and of course you have to carry a rifle so i have like a 1940s you know mauser 30.6 rifle old school <laughs> and i've got this total military uniform and i come up and at first i think sasha thinks that like the, the russian military has come to like check on him or something oh my god and then finally you know i, I explain I, I you know we start talking and we just End up having the funnest night. We take pictures together. <laughs> I have the pictures. I can send you if you need them for the yes,
0: yes, one hundred percent.
2: Yeah, the pictures fantastic. But then, just to Stein's point, I come back a few years later. Same thing. I come in there with a bunch of clients and friends. Like haven't seen him since. You know I didn't. It was fun for me. It wasn't that big of a story then. What made it super crazy was to come back and just the same thing to happen. Stein. He's like, I'm like Sasha. Do you remember me? And he's like. Just yes, wait one minute. I I run to room real quick, and he runs upstairs, and he comes down. Like Stein said, I keep picture right next to bed on my bed. There's next oh picture, and it's a picture God. of him and I, like in the uniforms together. You know, wow. and I'm like, that's that's kind of creepy, but really creepy. Cool. <laughs> you
0: know, extremely flattering, a little creepy, oh, but yeah. extremely flattering.
2: But you, know, sure. but you know what, Adam, I think I think the point, like on those type of stories, like Stein remembers that, I remember it, Sasha remembers it. <laughs> yeah. to this, I, could, I could see Sasha in an airport anywhere in the world and we'd recognize each other. Is these amazing locations that we go to, yeah. whether it's, you know, Pyramid and Svalbard or and the, the the people and these connections. And, and those are the stories that to me resonate. I, I don't think from Stein or I, you're going to hear a story of like, Oh, this one day, Adam, you can't imagine the snow. It was, the powder was a certain way that whatever we, we, we that's, that's why we go out yeah. there. But in the end, the stories and the really amazing memories that, that, that you, that, that last a lifetime are those connecting with people, the relationships, the, the the funny parts of it like that. To me, that's, that's what this, this journey has taken me through. That's most valuable and most memorable and most treasured beyond the locations or or certainly the sport, you know? Yeah. The uh, just skiing, just climbing, the 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 relationships and connection is incredible.
0: Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that all yeah. of us are involved in this industry, right? Like or like in snow sports, in outdoor sports in general. It's like the community aspect of it, the places that you go, the people that you meet. It, it's very, it's almost like a little cliche, but that's what people remember, you know. I was in Portillo a few years ago, and it's funny. Like we had an amazing time, like skied great stuff, and it was like it, it was a great trip. The thing I remember most is at the like little bar at the bot, like down below. I met this kid who was trying to like he. We were just like I forget who it was. Somebody in our group was just looking for pot. Like, everybody was looking for weed, like, and it was, like, down there, it's, like, you go to jail. This kid, like, goes out of his way. This kid that we met, like, hardly spoke any English, like, goes out of his way to, like, go into his car, hidden in his shoe, in a shoebox. He had, like, this little bag of chafe, and he was, like, this is what, like, I'm sharing this with you. And then he got caught the next day, got caught the next day, went to jail, and then, like... I swear to God, got, like, got out and then contacted us like on Instagram afterwards. It was like, I'm okay, I'm safe. I just like had to go away for a little while, but like everything's all good. And it's just like, we ended up seeing him like in Santiago at the airport, like on the way out basically. But it was like, it, it's that kind of stuff that you remember like, because it's for sure. so bizarre <laughs> and it just kind of happens when you're there.
1: Yep. Wow. Yep. That's
2: the, yeah. Wow. Those are the stories, right? It's funny as you were saying that I was thinking like, you know, obviously I think anybody that has a podcast like yourself clearly is the first time we're meeting, but, but, but that's what you, you like the human connection. I mean, I, it's, and I'm sitting here right now thinking that, right. That's obvious. Like, you know, I, I sensed it immediately us talking for the first time, you know, there's a connection, but somebody, somebody that hates people, needs to come up with a podcast. Cause that would be a really funny podcast. <laughs> the guy that just like has people on it, just gives them a bunch of shit. Just like is all irritated by him would be a really funny one. Cause I don't think that's
1: been done yet.
0: <laughs> I'm sure there's someone out there that's just like doing it by accident, you know, right. like is actually upset all the time. I don't know if right. anybody is doing it as a bit, but yeah, that would be hilarious. It, it's funny. You never know. Like you never know who you're going to get. There's a lot of people. And we have five shows on the network now and it's, and everybody kind of has their own different style of like the way that they interview and the way, what they bring to the table. It's like Michelle Parker hosts a show on the network and it's like the way that she interviews versus the way that I interview versus anybody else is completely different from each other, but it's like, there, there's kind of benefits to all of it. But the goal at the end of it is like, is that connection aspect, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. And it's beautiful. I, you know, I personally, you know, Stein keeps talking about or referencing, you know, this presentation I do and, I just still am such a believer in storytelling. I think yeah. that art of storytelling, you know, is, has has been in our culture, you know, going back to when we were cavemen, yeah. telling you about the saber tooth, you know, tiger that attacked me out of a tree and I kicked his ass, you know, and then it has a funny punchline at the end. Those stories are so good. You know, whereas nowadays people pull out their phone and it's like, yeah. I, I hate being at a party when someone's like, oh, Adam. Look look at this video of this. I'm uh, always like, get get out of here. Tell me the story. I yeah. don't want to see the picture. Tell me, tell me what happened. Tell me what it felt like. Tell me what it smelled like in you know, in that avalanche. Tell
0: me you know. Tell me what it smelled like. God, I hope tell I never me- have to experience <laughs> what the inside of an avalanche smells like. Um, yeah, it's it's true. And actually, okay, this is a good segue. Um, tell me a little bit about the Crux film. Like, whose idea was this? Obviously, it's based around Todd, but like, what? what's the story? Kind of tell people a little bit about this because it's going to be available for people. It sounds like hopefully. In hey, spring. Olive, Olive, no. get, daddy some more whiskey. <laughs> come
2: here, get daddy some more whiskey. I can't. I'm on a podcast right now. I can't. <laughs> it's in the closet. Go get some. Come on.
1: <laughs> yes. I, I love you, Todd. You're great. <laughs> this is the best. <laughs> I can't. I'm wow. on a podcast right wow. <laughs> now. <laughs> um well i don't i mean it's the crux is about todd's life and from my perspective yeah actually it was actually the same trip you brought up michelle the same trip that when michelle and a crew were up in svalbard on the sailboat uh when todd and i were sharing that bed
2: oh no uh, kidding
1: (laughs) so so we we really got to know and again just like learning more about todd and the story and really developing more of those like Like, trying, like, I mean, in these places, you, I mean, it's really unique because you have no service. You're, you're off in the middle of nowhere. There's not even the opportunity to have Wi Fi. Like, you're sitting in a space totally connected and having to, like, I mean, whether you like it or not, you're conversing with others and learning more about their story. So, for me, it was like Todd is starting to share a lot more about this. And I was like, very interested in learning to rock climb. And Todd's like, yeah, no, I've, He's like, well, if you're ever out in the Myers South Lake Tahoe area, I've developed all these routes and whatnot. And he started telling me about like, essentially bringing his daughter Olive into the climbing scene, of whom is a much better climber than I am. And <laughs> even when we were like, she's eight years old, out climbing me for sure. <laughs> and but so like, I mean, I started learning more about. And it was like on that trip in Svalbard where I started learning a lot more about Todd and what he's done for the community and when we got back, so that was like 2019. So yeah, just like within a year, we, uh, essentially kept talking. It was actually hilarious. He took me for a multi-pitch that summer and like, like I'll just share the story (laughs) because essentially like I, I, again, I'm like really interested in learning more about climbing and like getting into it. Like I I sport climbing every now and then, but Todd takes me on a multi-pitch We're sitting in his truck that it's a, it's a morning climb. And, uh, he he hands me it's like he hands me this uh one of the pens with with uh like weed whatever in it and he's like he's like you wanna hit and I'm like uh like sure and he's like he's like yeah I just have it. So I'm like so I like I took a huge puff of this pen and then like started coughing obviously yeah, right. and like and I hand it back to Todd. He's like, No 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 I don't smoke before climbing. I'm like, What? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I was just like i was like what like, like what a level of peer pressure like, like, oh. like holy <laughs> <I'm> shit like, <laughs> and like and, and then todd and i were like i'm still like nurturing this relationship i'm like god i have to look like i have to be on it i have to be like i'm like trying <laughs> to act as like professional as possible he's like come on come on and i'm like no and then next you know just like no, no no i don't smoke before climbing i'm like you've got to be kidding me like <laughs> i like already failed this test and then like meanwhile we just start climbing and the shoes I had were my buddy Eric's which was like three sizes too small and I'm like in absolute <laughs> pain and agony like like pretty much like tearing up on this multi-pitch but I'm like never complain never complain <laughs> like, I'm literally with Todd <laughs> so that was kind of a funny little scenario but then like I uh, mean started just heading into the outdoors more with Todd and just hearing more about his story and then he called me uh beginning of 2020 saying hey I'm gonna go develop more routes out here and we're together he's been with mamut for yeah. a long long time and we, we've also been on the team as ambassadors and we're trying to get more into like filming other yeah. ambassadors doing really cool things and todd called me and he's like hey i'm gonna go put up a few more routes out in south lake todd Ta- like in the myers area if you'd like to come join and just even like see what the process is like so we ended up like chatting more about it and then i went out there and did some more climbing with todd and i was like oh my gosh like this is Insane. Like I was born and raised in Truckee, California. And like it was, it's, you know, that climbing's out there for like, you know, that it's there, but I had never thought or grasped the idea that there were like individuals that were going out there and creating these routes, like looking at a rock face and being like, this is a good, this is a great beginner to moderate pitch. So what in, what was it, the 90s? Chris Macker, like some of the hardest, one of the hardest rock climbs in the world was in Lake Tahoe. And it was known for like really tough rock climbing and don't want to give like the whole story away, but essentially Todd, after going on a trip to Europe, and he's like, he created this amazing community project and he's climbing with his daughter, like get his passion and he's climbing, Todd can talk about all the amazing first ascents he's done all, or ascents he's done all over the world, like Pakistan, Peru, like really looking through his archives at his house was like mind blowing. Looking at all these different routes and like the community spires, or now you call like Luther spires and and all these amazing things that he's done, but like doesn't really ever talk about. So it's like, it's kind of like those like hidden idols, those figures that are behind the scenes and he's put up like over 200 like 200 plus routes in the South Lake Tahoe area like totally like built this community around climbing and even with his daughter like it's an activity they do as a family they climb together they have their own systems going like I think uh Olive calls it calls it lizard chasing rat like it's like super super adorable but it's a it, from my perspective, and I'm 28, and I guess we started actually like putting together the pre-production when I was 25, actually. Wow. So I was like 25 years old, learning so much about life and kind of like that, kind of that transition where a lot of athletes go through life and just like have to be the pinnacle of what you're doing and like pushing limits, risk, risk, risk to get some of that sponsorship and all those different deals. And watching Todd's progression and then being able to be like, okay, I'm having a daughter. It's and with his wife Tara and having like the most amazing thing happen and like continuing that family with like that family. But then being okay, what can I do with my family? And he ended up just like being creating like this amazing community where we've climbed out there. It's amazing routes. So that was kind of my perspective into learning about Todd. And it was just like totally gripping. And it compelled me to be like, I want to learn more about this. And it was it was a project that I was like seriously interested in. And I learned so much about life personally. Like it was a, it was an eye-opening experience.
0: I love that. Todd, anything to add on your own, on this film (laughs) that came out about that is coming out or is out, I guess about you, like this is, that's gotta be a bit of a weird thing, right? It's like, even though you know Stein and like, this is all, this is all great. It's gotta be a little bit weird to have a project focused solely on you. And even further, like furthermore, on your daughter as well in that relationship. So what, what was this all like from your perspective?
2: Yeah, it it was, it was strange at first. It was, it certainly was extremely flattering that that Stein or anybody for that matter was interested in, in, in the story. Um, And I kept saying to Stein, I'm like, yeah, man, you know, I, I'm just—I'm not that climber. I'm not—you know—I'm not some crazy high-level pro. And he's like, well, you've done lots of cool stuff. I'm like, yeah, but I don't—you know—and he was like, but that's not what the story's about, you know. And then I think once I kind of wrap my mind around that, and, it, and it's one of the things that's been really um, that I really appreciate so much about Mammut that I've worked with. So I mentioned I—I've I've, I've been a Mammut ambassador, I think, since about maybe 2011. Mm. It's really cool that it, that a company like Mammut you know, and I'm not a mammoth athlete. I'm a, what they call an ambassador, that they believe in someone like me that, that that's older and is, you know, kind of past like my prime doing the hardest routes I'm going to do or the hardest ski descent, whatever that is. But recognize that there's people out there that that see a higher cause of maybe giving back to the community. You know, climbing or skiing for that matter can be really self-serving. You're just doing, oh, I'm going to go do the hardest route I can. I'm mm. working on this 514 climb. Well, you get it. And who benefits? It's really just for you. It doesn't really help anybody else. Mm. But in in this chapter of of my climbing, going out and developing these these moderate routes has been incredibly rewarding for myself personally because there's so many people in the community that I constantly, I go to the grocery store, Stein can tell you, I go out and say, hey, thanks for those routes you put up. I took my daughter up that. Oh, I did my first lead there. Hey, I really enjoy that area. It was these areas that the climbing was if you know climbing grades, you know five, seven, eight, yeah. five, nine, five, ten. You know, kind of what's now considered more moderate climbing. That's well protected. That uh, that just made it much more inclusive. That's such a such a buzzword these days, yeah. inclusivity. But that, that the intention was just just that. Hey, people want more of this type of climbing. So that part's been really rewarding to 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 put my energy into it for other people. But I get, I personally get so much out of it. I just love the fact, I love hearing these stories of people telling me that they're some of their first climbing experiences. And it's a perfect transition. We have a great climbing gym now in our community called uh, uh, Blue Granite, Mm -hmm. uh, which is relatively new in the last, I don't know, four or five years. But these climbing gyms, you know, people learn to climb at a really high uh, grade at the climbing gyms. You know, it's very laboratory conditions. It's on a top rope and it's there and it's plastic. But then they want to transition to outside it used to be most areas that in those beginner moderate areas, the spacing between the protection was really far. So the mm. risk of falling. So, so it had just a different fear factor. There was a different, when I got into climbing 30, 35 years ago, the risk tolerance was different in climbing. Whereas I think, I think that's changing. You know, I, I hope so. I feel like a lot of outdoor sports that maybe there has been a shift in our risk tolerance. I've lost a, a really high number of friends in the mountains through climbing and skiing, through mm. accidents and avalanches and, and those type of things that I do feel like now that maybe the 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 pendulum shifted to to a risk tolerance that's a little bit more sustainable uh in some of these sports. And this is just one one of the avenues for that to make it a little bit more sustainable, a little bit more inclusive. And and those hard run out climbs, those dangerous ones, you know, the stuff we did in Pakistan and Peru. A lot of those routes have never been repeated. They're still there for somebody to go do. Yeah. Um, but this this stuff's been really rewarding and uh, and and just just flattering and and really an honor to have like a piece of my life kind of captured in this in this film that I'll have when I'm older, my daughter I'll have when she's older uh, to share it with my community was was just just a real honor. It is really flattering.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's it's funny. Like you're right. Inclusivity is like such a big buzzword right now. It's all anybody wants to talk about and everybody wants to claim it, but it's like you're actually doing a thing like this that Mm. actually makes it. And I think that's, it's funny. I talked to Vasu a few weeks ago and I was just telling him like that word annoys the fuck out of me because people just like go out (laughs) and they just say it about anything. It, it, It doesn't like mean anything, but I think that like what you're doing is the core meaning of that. And it's like, it's exactly like what I talked about in the beginning of this where it's like people are scared of the idea of like they need somewhere to go. They want to do it outside because for me, I don't want to be in a climbing gym in the summer. I want to be outside. Right. But that gap is too far for me to figure out a lot of times. Right. So people stick to bouldering or they do whatever. And it's, this is kind of what inclusivity should mean to most people. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. You know what it is too, Adam is it's interesting in climbing these routes that say, let's just talk about a route that has bolt protection, a bolt that's in the, in the rock that you would clip then, Uh, you know, and clip the rope into. If those bolts are really far apart, what happens to a climber, to all of us, has happened, is you can make some moves and you get up to the bolt and you clip it and it feels safe. But then you're looking 20 feet up, 30 feet up to the next bolt and you start making the moves and they're hard and you down climb, you make the moves and then you just kind of go, it's just too hard for me to commit. It's just too far. I don't want to go that I'm afraid of but we tried to place the bolts in a way that that you clip that one bolt that I mentioned, and then the next bolt, it's like a little carrot that's just out there. Like, oh, I th- I can get up to that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I can do. Th- I don't know if I can do the whole climb, but I think I can get that next bolt. And you go up there, bah, 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 and you clip that one, and then you feel safe again. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I can do the whole climb, but I can get the next bolt. Next thing you know, you're at the top, and and it you know and and it it breeds confidence in people and climbers oh. and helps them take it to the next the next
1: phase. Yeah. another thing that i found quite interesting about the whole like progression of how like todd Ta- when was the first route that you put out like what year you know like
2: like it ever in and in, in to in, in, in in is probably i think when i first moved out here so i'm gonna say like maybe 97
1: yeah like and it's 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 really wild that to, to hear todd like there was like a bit of opposition too like as he was building some of the different routes like there's a lot of people who are like you know when it's if it Tahoe had the hardest rock climbing like route in the world for a moment, a period of time, but then it's like kind of people are like hey don't like Todd was starting to put in these other like easier routes, and there's people and Todd has a few stories of like these different folks who are like hey they like cutting his bolts down saying it's too easy and it's like you can't be putting up these beginner to moderate routes on these faces that should exclusively just be hard things that people should climb, so it's like. There was some opposition to it, but on the greater good, like, I mean, even a goal for this film is not only like a timepiece for Todd and his family, but I mean, a couple of generations down the road and whatnot, like as people cart, like these routes are going to be here for a long, long, long time, if not forever, and that people will be able to use and the, like the Tahoe community is growing really, really, really quickly. But like so many, like thousands of people are going to be climbing these routes. And it's kind of like for this film to kind of timestamp an individual who created all these things for such like future generations mm. of anyone, like whatever age, like from four years old to 80 years old. It's like it's it's that's another big goal of this film is to really timestamp those kind of local heroes who do it volunteer based. Like Todd's like, I'm not getting on the cover of climbing magazine doing these routes. He's just like it's volunteer like. He's like an
0: altruist. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I I can't see a reason why, like, I kind of get it, but I also Mm. don't understand it at all, right? Why people would not want, like, they're kind of protecting their own ego in a way. But other than that, I can't really think of a good reason why people are, like, why they would be opposed to this kind of thing, right? Like... It's funny. Gatekeeping is another word that gets thrown all the time, like all the time out there right now. And it's like that also kind of makes me annoyed because it's always like (laughs) someone who is annoying saying it, it feels like. But there is this like that is what it is at its core. Right. Like that is what the the definition of it. Right. By like if you're going Webster's like that is what it is. Right. And I think there's there's a lot of value in just being like, look, like you might not love it, but this is for a lot of people for a long time. Like it's actually a really cool thing to do.
2: Yeah, and and there, there wasn't much resistance, but but there was, and the resistance from from you know the the few was were, was pretty stout. You know, like it was aggressive, and but but it, your your point to gatekeeping is exactly it. You know, things change, and uh, Europe has kind of always been. You know a few i don't know maybe a decade ahead of us in climbing and skiing and the progression of things it, it, i got the influence from going over to europe and seeing yeah. how many moderate areas there were when my daughter was young you know i went to chamonix thinking i wanted to go do all this rad stuff and i was like what am i going to do with a three-year-old in chamonix come to find out they have routes that you can go do with a three-year-old in chamonix because they get it these you know these hardcore right. climbers have families and they want their kids to learn. They want a bit to do it safely. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 a it does uh, timestamp a, a particular maybe transition in climbing with risk tolerance and uh,
1: accessibility. Yeah, yeah. And, and and in terms of like even some feedback that we've had, like it's played at Tall Adventure Film Festival, Coast Film Festival, New Zealand Mountain Film Festival, and then uh, Intrepid Film Festival in Minnesota. But there's a lot of feedback that we've heard like privately and. It's a film that's not just for climbers. Like, we've had quite a few uh, family friends and friends that have just like watched the teaser or whatnot on YouTube or wherever they may have found it and been like, hey, I would like my kids, like, my fam- like because climbing is so mainstream now, there's a lot of kids and families that are like, hey, my kids, like, I just want them to be in the outdoors. Or like a family, you like becoming more of a family type bond or finding that like uh, that activity they can bond together. There's a lot of families and kids um, and mostly like a lot of adults that are just like, hey, I just love to watch this with my son or daughter to see like watching another parent and their kid at this when we were filming all of this eight years old and just like watching that dynamic with parents working together and doing an activity together in the outdoors and like being happy so it's like it's not it's definitely climbing focused but it's also like there's been a lot of people who like watching all of like the free solos and all those other things that are just yeah. like totally like i have literally no clue how to relate to this <laughs> whatsoever yeah. that there's a lot of people who are like hey this seems like i'd be like, can you please forward me the private link or something like that i'd love to watch with my family i'd love to just like see if they'd be interested in just trying it so there's a lot of people who are outside of uh, the climbing industry who think that it's like a nice little like a conversation starter to show their families
0: yeah yeah i'm very excited to watch it. i still haven't i need to do the same thing and just get the private land from you like it's like but uh, you know uh, it's a thing that was brought to my attention from Nash over at Mamu and it's like those are the kind of people that when they're like oh yeah this is a project worth spending some time on and worth talking about and like worth like worth the watch it's like you listen right and it's like talking to you guys it seems like it's something that you guys are both very passionate about and it's it's exciting for me and I think people will be very excited to see it and that's kind of my follow-up question to this is like when and where are like people actually going to be able to watch it like in mass form? I guess
1: you know the final distribution is TBD, but you can certainly follow. I mean, Mammut's a big supporter of the film, so if you if to stay in touch, like we'll we'll certainly keep you posted. Yeah, please. Um, do. But we will we will have a note here like coming up in the next like month or two okay. of kind of like final. But uh, following Todd Tahoe Todd uh, Todd is Tahoe Todd um, on Instagram or whatnot too. So just like staying in staying in touch with Todd and Mammut and you is a great way to uh, find out where things are going to land. Yeah. Sounds
2: like sounds like Stein's still trying to get that Netflix check to, to yeah clear. exactly once someone signed it. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> once that clears, I think. I think <laughs> clear. You know, it's money. funny. It's funny too, though, Adam. Like your point about you know uh, the the mystery and fear of climbing. You know, I was just thinking in the last couple of years, like real mainstream was uh free solo. Yeah. Won an Academy Award. Great film. I think, in my opinion, maybe one of the most incredible athletic accomplishments ever captured in the film. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Then we had The Alpinist. I don't know if you've seen The Alpinist. Yep, sure have. Uh, you know, another one that that ends tragically. A great film, a great climber, incredible accomplishments up to his, you know, death. Uh, so, so that that also is very sad. And then another film uh, was it called kind of Torn Stein with uh, yeah. Alex Love. Lowe's son? Was it? Yeah, torn. 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 A- another film that also ended up kind of more mainstream, you know, outside of the climbing communities. Uh, was another film that was all three are very good films. Tell an incredible story, but but the risk the risk in Free Solo, and then the tragedy of the other two. It's heavy you know it's heavy and I I know firsthand that that weight and that that heaviness that can come with accidents in the mountains I think that's one of the things that makes this film so appealing to a more general audience it is it's just happy climbing it goes back into like when we were climbing harder stuff around the world and pushing the limits for ourselves it wasn't anything like what Alex did or what uh, Mark, you know, the clerk did in, in, in Alpinus or even anything like what Alex Lowe did, nothing at that, like those guys were at the top, but this one has, a, it has a happy ending. So, well, I don't know. Let's see what happens to me, yeah, exactly. but, <laughs> but, but, but the end of the film, you're like, Hey, that was really cool. It's uplifting. It's positive. It's in the right direction. It's giving back its community. Um, and, 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 and it's okay to not just have to take the highest risk to climb El Capitan without a rope or to, to ice climb you know, without a rope or to 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 die tragically in the mountains to 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 have some sort of clarity. It's it's a good story that's just uh, that's more relatable, I think, to the general population and people that don't climb or don't even understand what goes on in the mountains in terms of sports.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to see how the masses react to it, right? Because you mentioned some of those things that are heavy or like the extreme athletic accomplishments. And honestly I think the relatability aspect of it since it's much higher here, will bring it to the forefront where, like, people are actually trying to watch it, you know, at a higher level and at a more mainstream level because so many of these, like, extreme athletic achievements, like, not to downplay what Alex did, obviously, like, incredible film, but an outlier, you know, like, kind of an outlier in terms of, like, athletic accomplishment making it mainstream because so many people do incredible shit, and then you look and you're like, this has 47 views, you know and you're like yeah. nobody saw, nobody saw this, you know? Like yeah. it's it's okay that nobody saw it because it's not for that, but it's like that stuff doesn't always translate mainstream yeah. versus t- this type of thing I think has the capability to. Right. That's the goal. That's the goal. certainly the goal. Um I don't want to keep you guys too much longer. I have a question for Todd. Todd, what is all of like all of these photos of you looking absurdly jacked? <laughs> What is what part of life did this happen? Like, what is going on? Like, uh, what happened during that time? For, and for, I'm sure Joe will pop this up on the screen or something because, like, it's absurd looking, man.
2: I think you're referencing some photos, some images, some videos from the 1980s. <laughs> I sure am. <laughs> when, when in the 80s, uh, I don't know. Flat tops, cocaine, convertibles, and bodybuilding were all very, very popular, and uh, and I never had it. I didn't. I never owned a convertible, but but otherwise, I did enjoy the eighties. Yeah, I, I competed in bodybuilding at a really high 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 level in the eighties, and it's just it's just awesome because I'm like a really comical person. I just see humor and everything, and it's so fun that I have that in my past. You know the, the 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 speedo and the oil and the muscles and the oh flat top and the tan, <laughs> the, living in Muscle Beach. I mean, you can't make this shit up. Like that was a chapter in my life that uh, oh that was, was was just amazing. I mean, God, the stories there could go on for forever. There's a book to be written about that period of time.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. It's, I was like looking at, I was like, there's no way this is real. And then I was like, it is, it is real. Holy shit. Like this is crazy. It's funny. I tell people all the time. It's like, I don't really want to be that jacked like always, but I would like to be that jacked for like 11 minutes. You know what I mean? Just to feel oh, it's,
2: it's how, awesome.
0: <laughs> what that feeling is like to be that yoked.
2: It's a lot of work. I'll tell you. It's a I'm lot sure of, a lot that's of work and Discipline. It really is, you know. It's funny. It's it's like, like like anything, I guess it's extreme like that. Yeah. You know, all you see is the final product. And, right. and 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 in that one, it's funny, certainly. It's funny. I remember like seeing a um uh was it VH1 was the was the, yeah. the music video channel. I remember they had like a I love the eighties. Yeah. And it was like, I love the 80s. And the logo that came up was a silhouette of a bodybuilder, mm-hmm. and I was like, <laughs> "See, that shit was popular then, man. That was it. It was <laughs> in in the '80s. We'd make a fun of me, but bodybuilding was cool in the '80s."
0: I'm sure it was, man. Like, I think it's amazing. It is such a thing to have in your back pocket to like pull out at the dinner table or whatever and be like, look at how jacked I was. Like, this is so crazy. I, and what a transition, like what a transition from that to climbing and skiing and doing all this stuff. Like that is a thing that you don't see very often.
2: No, not at all. And you know, I mean, certainly one of the big takeaways was I, I, you know, the one thing I did create, I learned a lot about nutrition. I learned a lot about exercise, but I definitely uh, created like true, absolute discipline in my life that uh, that I apply to this day. You know what I mean? Like that that part is amazing. That was that was the best part to come yeah. out of it. I certainly beat myself up this on some level, but uh, but the discipline it takes for that kind of diet, that kind of training to get to that point. Uh, Is applicable every single day. You know, I do yeah. things all the time. I don't feel like doing it. I have great discipline in my life. Any of my friends will tell you that.
0: Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, guys, I'm gonna let you go. Um, I appreciate this very much. This was actually this was great. I shouldn't say actually because it, I kind of expected it to be. But um, where, where expectations? Where can be? Yeah, right. You just put them at the floor. Um, <laughs> where can people find you guys on social if people want to catch up with you? Where can people find you? Like tell. Tell the people this is your plug.
2: Well, my name is Todd Offenbacher, and I'm Todd Offenbacher on Facebook, and I'm Tahoe Todd on pretty much all the other channels, the Instagram, that sort of stuff. Tahoe Todd, two D's. The first D silent, and uh, <laughs> I live here in South Lake Tahoe, and Adam. I hope maybe at some point you come through town. I'd love to take you out climbing, and, and I would uh, love that, and, and show you just like a really fun way to just enjoy it.
0: I would love that. I'm in. Count me in. 100. percent
1: right on (laughs)
2: open open invitation
0: love that um stein where can Uh people find you
1: yeah i know my name's stein retzloff a little bit german scandinavian but uh s-t-e-i-n-r-e-t-z-l-a-f-f and that's pretty much at stein retzloff across all channels youtube instagram facebook um all that
0: i love that awesome